of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 411. Jason Lindgren is with me and the conspiracy music guru, also known as Alex Michael, is with us. For everyone who doesn't know, this is the man who wrote the Crow 777 Radio theme song. I don't think I've ever seen him pick up an instrument that he couldn't shred with the best of them. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And good morning. Okay, let's cue this up. I'm trying to keep up. I've got so much going on. My mom's service is tomorrow, um, so I'm a bit scatterbrained still here. There are some new songs we're going to talk about. There is, I believe, a children's book, and correct everything I just got wrong. Spot on, man. Spot on. Thank you for having me back on. It's a real honor and a privilege. Thank you. I, uh, I admire your work. I, I admire your work. Um, people people email me damn near every day to say who wrote that music. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's funny when I first got it, it said crow so many times I thought this is a little self-serving, but it kind of grows on you. And you don't think about that after a little while. Um, and just so thank you. Thank you so much for writing that. Yes. Oh no, no, you're welcome. I'm, I'm really gra- glad it's resonating with people. And so should it being in four, three, two Hertz. What, what I find is amazing is that um, during the whole Trump narrative that people were hearing the words Trump yeah. in that instead of crow. I mean, what the hell was all that about? You wrote the perfect song to prove that what is in your mind shapes what you think, because in no way, shape or form does it say like Trump is being said. And I must have gotten thousands. I mean, literally thousands of comments and emails. And the funny thing is on YouTube, people would say, why are you saying Trump, Trump, Trump? And then someone would comment and said, why are you thinking Trump, Trump, Trump? It says crow. Exactly. I, I've got the video footage of me shouting that into the microphone several, several times. If people want it, I don't understand how people's minds can be manipulated by some sort of narrative. It just goes, like you say, it just goes to show that people can be really swayed, but they, they hear what they want to hear. One of the most brutal spells that has shaped this country is the red, blue, left, right, Democrat, Republican mind spell. And Jason and I have done episodes on that to prove outright the bankers put it in place to get you to argue about nonsense while they take it all over. But where would you like to start up, gentlemen? Are we going to start with the music? Are we going to start with the book? What's first? Entirely up to you. Well, uh, let's see. Right after the last episode, you had already finished doing uh, the Flat Earth Man album, the full album with the full band, quote unquote. How dare you? He was the full band. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> and then, of course, you did a uh, an acoustic slash live album, and you did the uh, True Solfeggio album, which is phenomenal, and I still listen to to this day, and I know many other people do. Why don't we pick up from there? What did you do after that? Well, I mean, there's been no albums after that. I mean, it's been quite a busy year, especially with these books. Um, but I put out a bunch of singles, um, and it, it kind of showed my aggression, really, and my frustration with the the current narratives, the COVID narrative particularly. And, you know, I put out a song called I Told You So and Television Watching News Believer and Big Farmer, which were all heavy sort of rock songs, really sort of. It's just really, it, my music really shows my, 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 my evolution, really, as an artist, I suppose, and my anger. I use music as a... As, as a tool to communicate with because nobody really seems to listen to me as if I'm just a talking head. But if I put something creative together and music together, people seem to, to pay attention to that. So I really just use music as a, as a tool to, to get my message across. And those three rock songs were just an example of how uh, annoyed I was with, with the narrative. And I told you so is a really good example of that. And Big Farmer and Television Watching News Believer, they were very heavy songs. So you found an area which may be one of the last bastions, which because I didn't see you get censored anywhere. Um, you can correct me if you did, but you're you're laying it down and you're doing it with music. And a lot of people are get, getting access. Look at someone like Owen Benjamin. He just got booted off Rockfin. And by the way, everybody, I told you so. Um, <laughs> there is no safe haven of anything of size. But here's the thing about what Owen did. He's not being bad hearted. It's edgy comedy with a serious message. As a matter of fact, I will say to Owen Benjamin right now, a blessing on your head, mazel tov, mazel tov, just to make the point. But what you were laying down was many times more abrupt than what Owen did. And yet that music seems to be running almost everywhere. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange thing. When you use comedy, when you use satire, and, and you can hide behind that sort of uh, sarcasm, if you like. And if I'm very careful with my lyrics, I can avoid the algorithms. My last song was a good example of that, Big Farmer. And in the chorus, I wrote, I'm Big Farmer and I'm here for your health. I mean no harm. I just want to help. But of course, when you deliver that in a sarcastic sort of musical style and very heavy and a dirty style, it's obvious what I'm trying to say, particularly when you couple it with 
the, the imagery that I'm using there. So the algorithms can't really do too much about that. Visually, they did. They, they demonetized it because the algorithms can sense that I've put in that video some uh, vaccine injuries, which, you know, the, the algorithms could pick up on. And, and they, they demonetized that they, because it's not, you know, it's not acceptable for, for advertisers. But um, I've had my fair, fair share of censorship. I've had videos taken down. My 5G one was taken down. My I told you so was taken down and banned from Spotify because I put the lyric in there, COVID is a hoax. As soon as I muted that lyric, I re-uploaded it and it was accepted. Um, but initially it was uh, censored and uh, for medical misinformation. So I've had my fair share of, uh, of, of censorship. And in an interview I did recently, that was taken down. So I think I'm going to have to be a little bit smarter with my lyrics now. And if I do it from a sarcastic standpoint and I use JP, uh, Awaken with JP YouTube channel as an example, he is, you know, just doing things comedically and sarcastically and satirically and seems to be getting away with it. And, and his channel still remains because he's saying everything that the system wants to hear, but he's delivering it in a comedic way. So if I get smarter with my lyrics, I think I can bypass the algorithms. And I do want to remain on YouTube because that's where the people are that I need to reach. So if I'm just smarter with my lyrics, then um, I think I can sort of, you know, uh, bypass the censorship of which I have I've had for my fair share. At this point, I would guess that the uploads are automated because so many people are doing it that there are very few people actually there, human beings, unless they specifically need to look at something that's being flagged over and over again. Exactly. I don't think there's a human element to it at all. I think it's all algorithm-based. So visually... And we know that the software exists, that a software can visually scan an image and pick up a guitar or a table or a person, you know, shaking in a hospital bed. You know, the algorithms can pick up on that, which is why I believe my, my big pharma video was demonetized. But lyrically, they can't do anything about it if I'm smart with the lyrics, which I, I intend to get smarter with the lyrics and deliver truth, but kind of hiding behind the algorithms if I, if I can get away with it. It's actually far worse than that. They could ignore the video entirely and just judge what they want to get from the comments alone and the types of people and users that are coming to you. Um, There's no way out of this. But I I mean, I admire the cut cut of your jib. People email me and say, why can't you put a better description? What the hell's up with your titles? Um, Well, this is why, everybody. We are battling AI. Um, For people who caught the last half of episode 404 with Fortune to St. Germain, open your damn ears for the last half of hour two. You're getting an inside view of things from someone who's in a position to know things. And he openly states, do you remember, Jason, the, the I think it's 2025. It is claimed that the entirety of the digital world will be run by A.I., Now, the thing about AI, as I mentioned, is it wouldn't even need to look at the video per se to get the idea of whether it appreciates it or wants it gone. But um, what you're doing is so important using music in the way you're using it. By the way, I was shocked to see that, you know, you're you're not messing around. You're not pulling punches here. Um, It's beyond Metallica what you're laying down. And I thought, you know what, this isn't going to fly for a second. And yet you seem to have threaded the needle in a way. And I'll add one more thing. When the going really gets tough, you can do the bumper thing where you put up cuts of your music that you know will fly and then post it in another place like I do with my YouTube. So I basically use bumpers, but are are we going to, are we going to run any of the, any of the new stuff within the scope of this, or are we going to steer people to it? Jason, I think that's for you. That's a good question. Well, it's, it's really up to you. Um, I mean, this is your livelihood. Do you have stuff that you're, let me rephrase how I went into that. Have you given away any of the new stuff? Uh, you are more than welcome to, to air it. And I would encourage you. Absolutely. So let's focus for a second. Uh, what would be some good examples? One, two, whatever you feel comfortable with, we'll put it right in here and we'll steer them over to where you're doing your thing. Well, I mean, it depends where you want to go. There's been a bunch of rock songs and uh, like the, the three I just mentioned, um, there's obviously the book we need to talk about. Um, you, you, can, you can maybe play a track from the True Self Edge. I mean, you've, you, I've, it's been a, a good two years since I was on last. So, I, you know, you'd have a lot more people that don't even know about that stuff. So maybe, perhaps we can play a song from the True Self Edge album as well and explain a little bit about what's going on there. So I would like to, if, if you're amiable, to run the Solfeggio because that is near and dear to my heart and I want to talk about it here. But if I know Jasonus Guitaricus Maximus, uh, <laughs> something to do with a rock song would fit, fit the cut of his jib. Oh, absolutely. Use whatever you want. Tell you what, I'll let Jason Rose and you work it out after the fact. But uh, if you guys are, are into it, I'd like to get into Solfeggio. Right. The importance of Solfeggio cannot be stated 
at a level where people will get everything they should from it. That's my point of view. And I base what I just said on every, if it, if it exists in this world, it is vibrating. If it is a color, it is vibrating. If it's a temperature, it is vibrating. If it is a consistency, it is vibrating. If it is living, it is vibrating. Now, with that said, Alex, let's lay down some, some stuff everyone should know about the importance of Sofegio. And if you want to, throw in the old argument 440 versus 432 or some other Verde tuning. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, when I put out the True Solfeggio album, I researched a little bit just the bullet points of what the Solfeggio healing frequencies are. And there's a lot of misinformation out there about the, whole, the Solfeggio healing frequency. 528 hertz is said to be this DNA healing frequency. I don't subscribe to that because it has no relationship with 432 hertz. So what I was doing with the True Solfeggio album is really just taking what I believe to be the True Solfeggio healing frequencies embed those frequencies into a very chilled Pink Floyd-like Eric Clapton sort of guitar-chilled uh, instrumental album and put it out there as, a, as my own scientific experiment and sort of gauge the feedback. It was testable, repeatable, and observable. And to date, I've probably sold, I don't know, maybe a few thousand of those albums. And to gauge, the, and I never expected the kind of feedback that I got, which was people suffering from PTSD and their, their anxiety and, their, and everything just to dissipate from them and and people saying that they they use it to to keep the their, their their children are calm when they play that album when no other music would do their pets are calm when no other music would do, so um, I, I'm utterly convinced now that there's something to these healing frequencies um, because I've literally literally done my own scientific experiment and engaged the feedback and I've had you know people private messaging me privately saying they're in floods of tears when they listen to certain tracks it's these these tracks have been used. Uh, people have got married to these tracks that they, re- they, they these tracks resonate with them so much. And a friend of mine also gave birth to the True Solfeggio album as well. So, you know, it's really doing marvelous things. And uh, I hope to do more of that in the future. So here's the thing. If you're stuck in a gloomy, dark room and someone lights a light and puts some beauty in that room, the human response will be amazing. And by the way, if I was going to take anyone's word for what is good Solfeggio, I'd be more than willing to go along with you. Now, if we go back over to the idea that at some point the the orchestral A, the tuning, so everyone knows we did shows where we said, hey, man, once upon a time, there were frequencies that tuned all the instruments and orchestras around the world that were beneficial, might be called sofeggio. The point is they were not adverse to human beings and living things with cells, and they wouldn't offend a tree. Maybe that's a way to say it. Along the way, they made, I think, three runs to switch from what we, we always call it 432, but there were many Verde tunings, Verde meaning green. In other words, natural tunings uh, in tune with the earth. Maybe that's a way to say it. They switched it up to 440. And what happened to the entire world was when they succeeded, whenever an orchestra walked into a room, guess what the A on the piano was tuned to? You know how much effort it takes to retune a piano? Um, so everyone's tuning to a thing that's now been jacked. And I think it's important to put that back, but do you have an open idea of what the range of good tunings is? Uh, do you mention it anywhere? I mean, going back, to, just going back to like uh, where this came from and who started it and who funded it, there was, uh, there was, <laughs> there's a book by the name of, I've got it here, it's called The 440 Enigma by L.C. Vincent. And he calls a guy by the name of John C. Deegan, The Devil's Apprentice. It was him that uh, suggested this tuning frequency. Uh, If I could just read a little bit of blurb here. John C. Deegan was a young musician in the 1870s. He was fascinated with percussion instruments and apparently horrified by how awful they sounded. And he perfected the percussion instruments and the glockenspiel. And uh, he then went on to create the John C. Deegan Musical Instrument Company. And everybody wanted his instruments. He began to prosper and grow and his influence began to spread. And Deegan in 1896 was well-connected in many elite societies, surprise, surprise, and was a founding member of the American Federation of Musicians, a member of the American Association for the Advancements of Science, the American Physical Society, the American Acoustical Society, and a member of the Astronomical Society, deeply interested in uh, in astronomy, aren't they all? Uh, and geology and chemistry and all branches of physics, particularly the theories of light and sound. And he was considered an authority on pitch and acoustics. And in 1896, he advocated for the standardization of the keynote tuning of uh, A being 440 hertz at their annual convention. And apparently he was the final determinant in having this new tuning pitch as a tuning standard for bands and orchestras. So then... (laughs) 
Fast forward a little bit, the American Federation of Musicians then received a grant from the Rockefeller Foundation in 1910 to make A equals 440 hertz, the keynote tuning standard for America and their annual, at their annual conference. And then the, that tuning standard was then adopted in the same year by the US government for concerts and symphony orchestras and their broadcast radio standards. And then in 1912, John Deegan opened the largest musical instrument company in the world in Chicago with over 100,000 square feet of manufacturing space with, of course, a generous Rockefeller donation to establish the largest musical instrument company in the world to build, create and distribute instruments throughout America and around the world with instruments all tuned to A equals 440 hertz. And these instruments could not be retuned. They couldn't be tuned in the field, so to speak. So meaning whatever tuning they were manufactured at, they would still remain that tuning 50 years later. So no matter any orchestra you're playing with, they would have to tune to that 440 hertz, whether they liked it or not. So <laughs> so isn't that I find that very, very interesting. The Rockefellers, the pricks that keep on giving. There it is. Everything you just said. Guys, we need to get a link to that book, please, in comments. Between all of us in rows, let's remember to do that. But let's take a look. And by the way, I want both your input. I'm going to make a statement and I want to get both your points of view or counterpoint of view. 440 to me incites emotion or excitement. It's, I would either describe it as excitement or emotion. And I always use the example that if you took ACDC or some really hard driving rock and put it in 432, the punch would be blunted, the excitement level. And what I suspect is going on is I know that to cast a spell, emotion needs to be elevated. And before I get both your points of view on what each of you thinks, the difference between 432 and 440 to actually someone listening is let's look at the numbers real quick. We've moved from 432, which would be 789. All right. So that's just a nine sum, kind of a completion idea. Now, when we go to 440, um, that's eight, that's 44 double doors. The media uses the flip side of the most stable of numbers. And remember, even when you're using the bad side of the coin, it is still the most stable number, four. It's using what's been called death's doors, 44. That sums to eight, which is the infinity idea in a way. So I just want to get all that out. But Jason, what's your take? When you tune out of 440 to 432, what is the difference that you sense is going on there? It's hard to put in words sometimes, but I'll know if I am out, if I'm playing my own music, for instance. If somehow my guitar got knocked out, I'm like, man, something doesn't feel right. And sure enough, I'll click the tuning on my Kemper. And if I'm plugged in electrically and there it is, it's not where I thought it should be. Things like that. I've listened to quite a few things where it's uh, 430 versus 440. And they don't tell you which one it is until after. And I, I can almost always pick it. I think I've always picked it out, but I don't want to make it sound like I'm infallible. But it's noticeable. There's just something about it. It touches me in a different way, whereas like 440 is indeed great for straightforward rock. Those power chords seem to punch just a little harder in a way. A lot of this just seems to be hard to put into words. If you if you take teenagers as, as, as an example, I mean, they're the dem demographic that listen to music the most. They're probably listening to hard rock at 440 hertz at eight hours a day. And we wonder why teenagers are so grumpy. There has to be something to that. I'll make a comment here. Well, and I want to get your exact take on what you think, what you sense is the difference, but let's consider what's actually going on. 432 vibrations a second is moved up to 440 vibrations a second for the middle A. Now, what we're talking about, and I hope my math is good because my math is never good, is eight cycles a second. That's the change. Eight cycles a second. Now, when you go to 44, the sum in the occult method of basic reduction is eight. The change is eight. To me, that becomes like a universal idea, but to come back around those eight cycles a second, it's not going to be easy for a lot of people to listen, as Jason pointed out, and instantly know, oh, that's eight cycles a second more. But Alex, what is it? Is it, a, is it driving emotion up? What is it that you sense about that slight change? I think there's an aggression. I think there's a disease about it. I, um, when, when I'm playing in four, three, two hertz, I notice I get more. I don't know because this stuff sort of stimulates brain waves. It releases endorphins, right? They said, so, so I think they, these people know what they're doing. When I'm doing music in four, three, two hertz, I will get more resonance out of a guitar. I'll get more goosebumps. There's an example of you know endorphins being released or whatever. But I certainly wasn't getting that when I was recording all my stuff in four forty. So. 
Um, so I, I can sense a change musically. I've got a very good pair of ears on me, and I can definitely sense a change between four three two and four forty. I can hear it instantly. It's just most people can't hear it. It's just it's like for me the four forty. It's such a slight change. It's such a slight change that most people won't recognise it. It's like. To me, 440 hertz is the fluoride of the music industry. You can drink a glass of water. It can clench your thirst. You can enjoy it. But what's going on biologically? And I think cymatics are a, are a good example of that. So this is what happened. The first time I tackled this, all piano tuners, orchestra people called up to yell at me, say, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. You can't even tell the difference. So what I did is in an episode image, I took two round cymatic plates on one of them, the cymatic geometry was 432 on the other was 440 and this is what you see on the 432 the geometry is sharper uh, the lines are more defined in the 440 it's more blurred out and sloppy um, like that so i don't think it's really arguable that something's going on but alex what freaking rings the bell what kicks the donkey undeniably is in the book that you just mentioned who did it why did they do it how many runs did they make at it? And that really tells the tale. And if everything we're saying is correct here, what it tells you is the slightest adjustment of eight freaking cycles a second gets mm. them to where they want to be. Well, it becomes fractured. It becomes incredibly fractured. If, if you were to take a keyboard or a piano tuned to 432 hertz, the middle A would be 432. The key directly below that, which is the G, would be 384, another whole number. The F would be 344, another whole number. These are whole number ratios, and we find whole number ratios in the golden ratio, which can be found in every aspect of nature. As soon as you then tune that keyboard to 440, all of the frequencies become fractured. So the middle A is 440. The, the, one, the G below that is 392. That's a whole number, fair enough. The F then becomes 349.23 hertz. The E becomes 329.63. And it's all completely fractured, which for someone with a little bit of OCD like me, just doesn't, it's just like this fractured, dissonant, discordant disease. Like I say, the fluoride in the music industry, that's, that's what it ap appears to me because it has no relationship with the golden ratio at all. If you wanted to almost try to describe it for people who are not musical or have never thought about these ideas or new to cymatics, 432, the tuning we no longer use, well, actually lots of people use it now, but the, the removal of 432 by the powers that be, you could look at it this way. A man somewhere back in history went out and picked up a leaf off any tree and he recognized a numerical pattern and then he made the frequency for music that would jive with that leaf off the tree. What the other guys did was made up some nonsense, got a leaf that was rotted that had been laying on the ground for a while, and they made their pattern. How's that to try to draw a line for maybe someone who's never played a piano or something like that? Yeah, it's exactly. It's, in, it's incredibly, uh, like I say, it's fractured. It's dissonant. It's, you know, it's called dis-ease for a reason, right? Dis disease. And, and incidentally, the, this guy Deegan went on to then create, um, I don't know if you know that we're aware of the NBC chimes. This is also in this book as well, these, these NBC. So this guy Deegan was a real piece of work. Uh, the end, I'm going to read from this book, the NBC station identifi identification three-note chimes became such a part of Americana that they were also using dining cars and on the, on the major American railroads to announce that dinner was served. They were sold as doorbells to American households and to toys to American children. The NBC chimes were uh, ubiquitous, seemingly heard everywhere throughout America. Perhaps it should come as no surprise that all of the NBC chimes were created by the John C. Deegan Company of Chicago, and they were all set to vibrate based on a keynote frequency scale of 8 equals 440 hertz. So they're really, really pushing to, to get that frequency out there. And then he went on to go and make church bells as, as well that, 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 that still remain in church towers and, and uh, public buildings and, and, and churches, and they resonate throughout these villages. And, uh, and so he, and you never guess how many of these bells that the company went on to make. 440, you guessed it. There it is. There, there's the this, there's this bell, but I, I want to scream right? Pav, Pavlov's dogs. It's like the windows. Remember at first when the windows little boot up sound that becomes so ubiquitous that there's not a mind in the world that didn't hear it. But what you just said is the NBC chime dun, 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 or whatever it was became doorbells and everything else. And on dinner carts, it's literally turning society into Pavlov's dogs. They hear it. They salivate. Oh, and, and I could go one. I can go one further. Also, do you remember when you're hitting the old school days when you used to have the dial phone, you used to pick up the phone and you put the phone to your ear and you just heard that tone before you dial the number. It was like a brrrr. 
Yep. That was made up of two frequencies, 350 hertz, and you'll never guess what the other frequency is, 440 hertz. <laughs> right? So as soon as you put that phone to your ear, you are immediately subjected to 440 hertz. And God knows what kind of frequencies they were putting out when we had, you know, three, three or four television channels and, the, you know, the programming would finish at midnight and the television would switch off and then they would have that test card that appeared on the television screen and then it would just blast out this frequency and many people would fall asleep in front of their television. So millions of people were falling asleep in front of their televisions and then this test tone, quote unquote, would be blasting through the television set and I, I could probably guarantee, I'd bet the farm that that was 440 hertz. They live because we know what else they were doing with the sign off at this point. But here's one for everybody. I live in Rhode Island. There's a local news station called Channel 10. Uh, I think it's Providence Channel 10. Right before Covidius Minimus struck, they added this chime to every change of we're not doing the weather. Now we're talking about dead people again or something else. And it is this sinister little tone. And I can't describe it. But what I can tell you, knowing what we are talking about now, being aware, the first time I heard it, I looked at my television in disdain and said, I don't need the weather that bad and turned it off. And I invite anyone to go online, look for Providence Channel 10 News and just scan around till the little transition tone is played. It is Boris Karloff. It is, I don't know, Bella Lugosi. It is, it is ghoulish in its delivery. And that's just because I play music. But Jason, where do you want to go here? So to finish that up, this sounds like what I say, you say, so many folks say that they attack us from any direction they could possibly get at us from. And this is just one more thing that, uh, man, for decades now, uh, if anybody thinks that this is poppycock, by the way, and wants to do a test for themselves, uh, there's a very excellent guitar player who has a very large YouTube channel named Paul Davids, who does the 432 versus 440 playing classical guitar, playing Beethoven's Ode to Joy piece. And it's noticeable. It's really noticeable. I think even non-musicians would be able to pick it out. Now, whether it would affect you one way or the other, obviously I can't say that's up to the individual. Well, Alex, if I remember correctly, the first run, and there were some Germans and some supposed Nazis and the Rockefellers, everyone trying to push for 440. I think that started, were the first runs in the 30s, but they failed. There were one or two runs. Do you know the date when they kind of had succeeded to get 440 as orchestral A? Do you remember? Yeah, I mean, this this guy Deegan uh, and then then formed an alliance with uh, the UK and then started pushing this frequency into uh, into into uh, into Europe and then enter Goebbels, right? The propaganda the propaganda guy, and he held an international conference in 1939 to establish the A equals 440 hertz as an international musical uh, standard in 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 Europe in 1939. So you could see the alliance there between Deegan and his musical factory and the, the you know the Third Reich. Yes, doors implemented, and then they're going to make 440 church bells. Um, but to get back to the point, if I'm not mistaken, it's in the neighborhood of the early 40s when it's finally officially implemented. So let's take a look because we're three musicians. Some of us way better than others. Actually, two of us way better than others. Um, <laughs> let's take a look at where music went. So let's consider music in the 40s. And, you know, you go through the wartime, so much of it is propaganda. But what happens in the 50s, right after the first decade after the implementing of this, we go to rock and roll. And I have spent a long time, and so has Jason, trying to show what rock and roll is. I have gone so far. Devil's music, bro. Yep. It's the devil's music. Without a doubt, I could see why these parents were screaming it's the devil's music. It's this three-chord nonsense. And I, I totally believe, and sorry to interrupt you, by the way, and, so, and I, I totally believe that that's all coming out of Tavistock. It's like the simple, it's like the bastardization of music, really. You know, we've gone from this higher-minded educational, emotional roller coaster of music, this symphonic music where the orchestras can, all these instruments can work in unison with each other, real high-minded stuff to the Beatles singing, I want to hold your hand. It's like baby music. It's like, she loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the sort of thing that you'd, you'd sing to a child. No, I mean, talk about the bastardization of music going back, you know, nearly 100 years. Freaking perfect. But here's the thing, everybody listening, everyone gets upset. But you see, this happened to me. I loved my rock and roll until one day I realized what it was. It was a weapon lowering my mind. When Fortune de St. Germain calls me, he'll point out because he actually knows the people that were involved in this because he was born in a high, high society family. They were creating drug music 
sex music, all these things to break the family values. So when I had to go back and look at my nostalgically loved soundtrack of my life, it broke my heart for about half a year. And then I grew the hell up and now I can listen to it. But you see what gets me in trouble is I point out that rap for the most part, wasn't music. Grab a dictionary, look up what music is. Probably will say something about harmony and melody probably will say something about other things. That was the extension of the weaponization that I was affected by rock in my generation. And what Alex Michael said is a crucial, crucial point. And people get offended, but would you rather know some things and then be able to deal with what you loved unconditionally with a mindset that lets you know why it was what it was? And by the way, there's still Zeppelin that holds up in my mind. And the reason is because there's still some musicality. As we go on, the musicality gets squeezed out of popular music, and it becomes a three-chord formula. It becomes a hook in delivery, and the musicality is completely gone from it. Uh, Blues Traveler, the guy John Popper, who was so talented as a harmonicist, put out a song called Hook about this very thing. You can't get your music published. Where is the hook? That's all that matters now. Britney Spears, do you suppose she ever wrote a single song? I'm not aware of an instrument she plays. What happened is musicality was squeezed out. And what did it for me is one day I took the sheet music from Stairway to Heaven and I laid it next to Beethoven. And all at once I went, oh my God, there's really no comparison. Is there, Alex? I mean, talk about simplifying the music and bastardizing it to three chords. You can see now why that whole Robert Johnson narrative is, you know, selling your soul to the devil and just really bastardizing music and just, just, just laying it all down. Music can be so vast, but yet we have a lot of this three chord cut stuff and catchy choruses. And I do use that formula in my music because that's what people are used to. But obviously I put the conscious lyrics in there. And uh, in this book, again, I shall, I shall name it again. It's called The 440 Enigma by L.C. Vincent. It talks about the, uh, the country music conspiracy where where uh, lyrics were kept really simplistic and themes of country songs were kept simple-minded and depressing and songs were crafted around a Southern loser mentality. And, uh, you know, and like they had a simplistic and they had simplistic family themes dealing with mama and papa and brother and sister and kids and babies and dogs and cars and trucks and tractors and farming and ranching and lyric lines were obsessed with loser themes of hurting crying and cheating and lying and killing and drinking and gambling and shooting and dying. And these, these melodies were monotonous and, uh, and, and, and prolific in all of the country music genres, which we still have today. So again, there's, 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 there's the, the, the bastardization of just the country music genre. Fast forward to today when we've got Cardi B talking about her, well, I won't even say it on air, but you know, we, we can see what's happening in the rap music genre today. So that's just the country music genre and the rap music genre. You forget about all the other genre. This music has been utterly manipulated, utterly bastardized, let alone what we're doing with compression, compressing it down to MP3s in the form of, in, in, in the name of uh, convenience. So it's been bastardized at every, every possible turn. With programming a goal, which succeeded. And by the way, the superstars in those genres had no freaking say. And you can point that out easily within the country genre. Let's set aside that one day Shania Twain came and what had happened is supposed country had merged enough with rock so they could get interesting videos and get more people to watch around the country than just the South. But if you go back, there was a guy named John Denver and he sings like an angel, folks. No one can listen to John Denver and tell me that guy doesn't sing like an angel. As a matter of fact, I knew him and I knew the lighting director when I was a roadie for John Denver. There came a point at the Grand Old Opry when they gave away their awards that John Denver was awarded and every single country superstar was ready to walk out. They were so sickened that their beloved genre was being bastardized and merged. Now, this is what it comes to. What I did is immediately when I had to deal with this, I bought a mandolin, I taught myself to start playing it, and I went back to pre-country music, what I consider real American music, um, kind of sort of like bluegrass, this type of thing. And I started getting level again and trying to mend my broken heart because I had to face what I knew. But Alex, you brought up Robert Johnson. Jason and I took a lot of time to show you this is my point of view, everybody. He never existed as a man. There was never a man named Robert Johnson. He is a mercurial construct, as Alex pointed out, to teach you about the downside of selling your soul to the devil 
at the crossroads, which is an impossibility. The biggest song he is known for, which has resonated all the way through all rock and roll, all the way up to Eric Clapton and beyond is crossroad blues. Crossroad blues is an alchemical construct and it is a spell. Every word in it is talking about the sky clock. It is talking about alchemy and mercurial concerns. So there we have the father or what used to be the father of all rock and roll and blues was supposedly a man named Robert Johnson who never existed about a year after Jason and I busted out that episode, Robert Johnson began to disappear. I will make the bold prediction that in five years, it'll be a rare day if you ever hear the word Robert Johnson, because there's a new fake man in town called Charlie Patton. Do you have any take on that, Alex? Uh, no. So you're, you're saying that the whole Rob, Robert Johnson concept is more of a metaphor for, for the bastardization of music then? So you're going to build this weapon that's going to destroy the family unit and start drug culture, and you need a foundation. So they invent the foundation in a myth called Robert Johnson. His birth and death dates are all coded to 9-11. The number of songs he wrote was 30, but damn it, we lost one. So there's 29, 9-11. I went down to the crossroads, fell down on my knees. Knees is Capricorn. Capricorn was the sign where the low point of the sun is, the allegory for heaven and hell. I could take the whole song apart. I looked east and west. Well, why not north and south? Because the ecliptic path of the sun is east and west. So the whole thing is a complete construct, but it becomes an imaginary foundation for the musical weapons they're going to launch as a result. In other words, every building needs a foundation. Robert Johnson was the fake foundation. He's a magical foundation because this magical foundation you can swap out. Robert Johnson foundation is being removed. Charlie Patton foundation is being put in, by the way, with the race card because Charlie Patton was a slave in a plantation. So they've added the the BLM idea into that foundation. Right, I had no idea it was so coded in the numerological values in, in that way. But um, yeah, I mean, if you if you fast forward like twenty or thirty years from that point, then you, you then you start to understand that the counterculture movement that was coming out of the sixties, the I think uh, what was it, weird scenes outside the canyon, whatever the book was called, did you know really nailed what right. was going on with this so called counterculture music movement, which was nothing of the sort. Well, my dim light fell for it twice. I fell into rock and roll, hook, line, and sinker. It was probably the driving force. And then when punk rock came around, I was in a punk rock band and fell for that hook, line, and sinker. Jason and I have taken time to show that the seminal album from the original punk rock was Nevermind the Bollocks by the Sex Pistols. Then in the 90s, when they slightly adjusted and launched grunge, the seminal album is Nevermind, spelled slightly different. This never ends. And Jason has done a fair job in his own right showing how the the decades break. Why is it that magically every 10 years, there's a whole new sense of things and the music is the soundtrack for, for why that is. By the way, I'm pretty confident that the official Robert Johnson releases, I think it's like a two CD set or something like that. I'm almost positive that's at the wrong speed. When I've heard people, there's YouTube videos you can go find where they've slowed it down a little bit. I'm like, ah, that sounds like a black man sitting in a, in a room with an acoustic guitar. That sounds right. I bet it's in 440 hertz as well. Probably. I never actually tested it. Although once it's slowed down, I don't know what it would be at. If maybe it was sped up to be in 440 hertz, you know, that's very interesting. I'll have to get a piece of that and uh, throw it in some software and find out. Yeah, let me know. All I know is we were talking and I was explaining to Jason that Robert Johnson was a fraud and that the Crossroad Blues is the foundation for the devil devil music idea, which is also fraud. There is no devil at the crossroads, just to be clear to everybody. Of course, in excess comes later to tell you the truth. It's the devil inside. Uh, You're told the truth a lot of times, but we don't have any foundation to winnow the truth out of it. But when Jason played the music and we were looking at it because I was telling him, we're doing an episode, this is all made up and I can prove it. He said, it sounds speeded up to me. And what he did is he put it in an editor and he slowed it down a bit. And I heard what he heard. It just sounded like normal, real music after he did that. Mm. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. As far as the tuning, though, I'll have to do some tests on that. Because now I'm very curious to know, are the official releases, which sound speeded up to me, is that 440? That'll be an interesting way to find out if it was speeded up. Because once I slow it down, what does it end up at? And uh, there's no exact formula for slowing it down. It's just start bringing it down a little bit till the voice sounds more natural. And uh, I've heard people play very similar 
uh, especially being in the South, that uh, sound like what he's playing to a degree. It's it just it just started sounding more correct to me once the official releases were brought down. It's not even a whole lot. It's it's just a little too fast. And you know, I, I hate to always be so conspiratorial. Maybe it was just due to the nature of the recordings. I mean, how many old films have you seen where the it's it's just going too fast and it's easy to correct with modern digital editors. But uh, they just don't look right. So it could be something like that. I don't even know what kind of recordings they were using, like wire recordings or something like that at the time. Well, I would counterpoint that by saying if you're going to point to a man and say he's the father of the most um, swaying musical genre in my lifetime, which was rock, started with the Beatles in mainstream. That's when it really started to make a world change. Uh, there's no way in hell I'm buying you're pointing at this guy. And so if there was something wrong with it, don't you figure like, you know, Elvis is the king. That's not going to go out in some sub acceptable way. I would point out what I noticed, Jason, in the edit you did is when you slowed it down, it sounded less frantic. Like I went down to the crossroads, fell down on my, but when it's pitched up a little bit, it's almost like he's shrieking. I went down, you know, like he's, he's moaning and sad. It gets that kind of piercing edge on the higher pitched version that's what i noticed and those are available on youtube as well there are multiple people who have done it and that's why i originally found it so again there's uh there's some homework you guys can do if you don't think that we have any validity to what we're saying here but before we wrap up hour one do we want to talk about the first song you released after the true solfagio alex which is uh no amount of evidence will ever persuade <laughs> an idiot yeah, that was an interesting one. Oh, you did a great video accompanying it. It wasn't just that the song was great and impactful. The whole video, great job as always, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. It was, it was kind of me trying to uh, break away from the Flat Earth Man character because I'd done set, uh, 10 songs. There's this kind of, this kind of guy doing, you know, talking about NASA and, uh, and all of that sort of thing. And I wanted to break away from that character a little bit. And I was looking at 5G information and uh, I wanted to just, like I do with all of my music, you know, you can't get across an entire conspiracy in, in a five-minute song. I can only highlight the bullet points, which is what I tried to do with that song. And I thought, let's try and create another character. So I grew my beard out long and I tried to be this sort of great I, I can't remember the bloody voice now no amount of evidence yeah it was kind of it's kind of a, uh, like a scientist kind of guy who was just sort of frustratingly going through this this song and, and meeting 5g installers and, and trying to uh, enlighten them about the, this frequency and I put in a bunch of bullet points about 60 gigahertz and uh, uh, oxygen absorption and uh, the, the how the military used 95 gigahertz as a as a crowd controlling tool and uh, and all these frequencies are in our 5G uh, phone frequencies. I, I guess it's a, a matter of amplification as well, but if, if they could use these frequencies for harm, then, you know, of course, you know, knowing the system like I do, uh, then they're, they're absolutely going to put that into mobile technology. So that was what I was trying to do with that song. I was trying to just put a bunch of bullet points into a song and, of course, presenting it comedically, satirically, so it would travel further. I find my music videos travel further if there's a, an element of comedy in it. People want to make their friends laugh. So I, I, I tend to stick to the funniest stuff if I can because it, uh, it travels a little bit further. But yeah, that was my 5G song. No amount of evidence will ever persuade an idiot. And uh, how true is that? Well, Harry. as the wall socket has trained us all, it's the amps that get you, isn't it? Um, Alex, can you give contact information? And I'm assuming you have an account to log in. As soon as this goes live, let's get some links to contact you, to your music, to the book, all those things in comments. If you don't have an account, just email me and you will. Please tell folks where they can find you and your work. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Yeah, I do have an account. Yeah. Um, so I shall log in and if there's any questions, I'll absolutely be happy to answer them. And uh, if you can remember three words, conspiracy music guru, type that into YouTube and you'll find all of my videos. Underneath the videos, you'll find all of my links to my website and my Facebook and blah, blah, blah. And uh, yeah, you'll find a bunch of, you know, comedic stuff there. Some some kind of, you know, chilled instrumental healing frequency. It's all conscious stuff, basically. And uh, now I'm moving on to doing conscious books for children, which is uh, I hope we'll get into in the second half. All right. That was hour one with Jason Lingren and the conspiracy music guru, also known as Flat Earth Man, sometimes online, who we call Alex Michael from Spain, the man who wrote the theme music for this podcast. Uh, that's hour one. Join us for hour two on crow777radio.com. 
And uh, we're going to get into a whole lot of things. And I think we're going to try to squeeze in some of his actual music after the fact in the edit. With that, we'll be back shortly for hour two. And I'd like to wish each and every living man and woman in this world a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers. Bad frequencies cause disease. There's a lot of disease in the world today. Thankfully, frequency can also heal. Enter the Solfagio Healing Frequencies. You are hearing three tones. 192 hertz. 384 hertz. 768 hertz. These are healing Solfagio Frequencies. They correspond to the throat or Vishuddha chakra. Now listen as the tones are blended with music. The healing frequencies are now barely noticeable and are embedded into the track. This is music that is literally good for you, using the bass frequency of 432 hertz. Alex made this track. In fact, he made seven healing instrumental tracks. Each healing track is seven minutes using all of the true solfagio healing frequencies. This is true solfagio. True Solfagio, the new album, from Conspiracy Music Guru. An album of chilled guitar instrumentals, using ancient Solfagio healing frequencies.
is the enemy of knowing. Oh.